Welcome to Over in Smith, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast where we usually read the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft, uh, but today we're going to be switching it up because we just finished At the Mountains of Madness, and so we decided to go with a movie. So we just watched The Thing, and with me today is somebody who may or may not have been assimilated by an alien being, Art. Hi, I, I definitely should be here right now. Yeah, you Nothing love bre- is wrong with me. love breathing air and also eating um, beans out of a can. Yep. That are things that humans do. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we watched the thing. We're going to talk about it. It it came out in 1982. It's actually um, the second of an adaptation of the story of the thing. Uh, so it's based on a horror novella called Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr., which has also been t- printed as The Thing from Another World, hence The Thing. I was originally adapted to film in 1951 as The Thing from Another World. It's in black and white. It's a decent movie. Um, it has some impressive special effects for the time. Uh, and then it, it we just watched the 1982 version by john carpenter the the thing which is a quintessential horror movie i'm sure lots of people who uh listen to our podcast have already seen it but we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some fun facts um yeah. It, but yeah this is the first time me watching it actually and it's it's uh it's real spooky yeah <laughs> uh. <laughs> the yeah it's fantastic it's a wonderful it's a wonderful movie so um We'll do a quick like recap of the movie, talk about the plot, and then we can talk about some fun facts, the production, and the story that it's originally based on. Um, so it starts out with uh, a it's an American camp basically uh, in the Antarctic. Um, I can't remember what they're doing. I think they're just like a they're just a research camp, just hanging out. Uh, everybody there seems really bored <laughs> all the time. Uh, but a uh, they spot a helicopter pursuing a sled dog, um, which eventually runs into the camp. Uh, and it's being pursued by two Norwegian pilots. And one of them, la- well, they land the helicopter after trying to shoot it. And they're like throwing grenades at it. And it just doesn't work. They land the helicopter. One of them, while trying to throw a grenade, accidentally throws it behind him like it slips out of his hand and blows himself up and the helicopter. The other Norwegian tries shooting at the dog, which is like everybody has come out of the camp now to see what is up. And the Norwegian pilot accidentally shoots one of the people from the camp and... Uh, then tries to pursue the dog through the camp, ends up getting killed by the station commander, whose name is Gary, who is played by, um, who is he played by again? Donald Moffat. Um, there's a lot of well-known actors in this movie. It's a very um, stacked cast. It's honestly, I'm really amazed. Uh, like, 
some very like prominent. So Kurt Russell is R.J. McCready. Wilford Brimley is Blair, the senior biologist. Uh, Keith David is Childs, who is the chief mechanic. But then there's also like David Clannon, uh, as uh, the assistant mechanic. T.K. Carter as Nalls the cook. Richard Dreisart as Dr. Copper. Charles Hallahan as Norris. Peter Maloney as George Bennings. Uh, Richard Masser as Clark, who was in the It TV series. Uh, he has like a huge beard in this, so it's really hard to recognize him. Joel Polis yeah. as Fuchs, the assistant biologist. And Thomas G. Waits as Windows, the radio operator. Uh, uh, pretty much everybody in this movie went on to either work in really big movies or other horror movies. Yeah, so it's pretty stacked cast. Um, I think they were all pretty big even before they made this movie, too. Like, it was a pretty impressive cast at the time. Yeah. Um, and then they just got bigger. But, um, so upon that, they're like, wow, that was uh, messed up. Uh, we should check out, see what's up with their camp, because this seems like a problem. So RJ, McCready, Dr. Copper, and the station commander all go... Or no, just RJ McCready and the doctor go to uh, the Norwegian camp. They find it in ruins. Like half of it is burned down. They find somebody inside who's committed suicide. They find a uh, burnt and deformed humanoid outside in like a heap. They find a mysterious block of ice that something has broken out of. Um, and they theorize at the time that it was like a fossil but they can't figure it out. So they end up packing up the, uh, the burnt humanoid that they find. They bring it back and their biologist performs an autopsy. And while like the whole thing is twisted and malformed, they do find like a normal set of human organs inside. Uh, while this is all happening, the dog that the sled dog that has come back, that came from the Norwegian camp. It's just wandering around the base, not really doing much. Very, very sus. I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, I, it's <laughs> the most suspicious dog. That's some good dog acting. Yeah. I have like, to say. Like, I will say, like, if you needed a suspicious dog, this dog did it. It was not giving off good boy vibes at all. No. Like, it was like watching them through windows and like, getting all in everybody's business it was just like staring yeah really and not the way that dogs do th not the way that dogs normally do that like no like it was observing yeah it was <laughs> really yeah some real good dog acting there um so eventually like the dog like bothers one of them enough that they uh tell clark to who takes care of the sled dogs to put it away uh he puts it in the shed and it starts acting real even more sus and then it starts to metamorphose into a monster and starts to attack the other dogs in the kennel um a couple of them escape uh but clark ends up getting everybody uh they have uh childs use a flamethrower on it to incinerate it but not after they see it like fully like transform and open up and like there's like jaws and tentacles everywhere it's a lot um uh upon incinerating it blair again autopsies it and guesses that it 
probably can imitate other organisms, so dogs, people, whatever. Um, while they're doing that, the d- other doctor goes through the Norwegian uh, records that they took with them. They watch a video of them excavating something big under the ice, uh, and they actually find where it is. They travel to it. They find a huge alien spacecraft, but they also find what appears to be a block of, like, a the rectangular block that was pulled out of the ice. Uh, and it's probably, like, 100 meters away from where the spaceship is. Uh, they come back, they talk about it, they surmise that the, cra- the ship crashed 100,000 years ago and has been brought up over time because of climate changes. And that this thing, this alien thing, was either thrown or tried to escape the craft and just ended up freezing to like freezing in the ice. Um, And it got out while at the, the Norwegian camp and that's what happened to them. Um, So Blair, who's been doing all this research and has been coming up with these theories, uh, goes a little crazy. (laughs) Um, And he, uh, he runs a bunch of, computer simulations and like it's like hey uh 75% chance that it's already turned to somebody in our camp just an FYI and he ends up isolating himself it's not good um so at one point Bennings and Windows Bennings is um I can't remember what he does he's one of the scientists Windows is their radio operator uh end up uh, going into a storage room, Windows leaves Bennings alone to go grab something, and he comes back uh, to see that the corpse that they had left in the storage room is assimilating Bennings and actually interrupts the process. They end up chasing it outside, where it ends up turning around. Its hands are still like not human hands, and it lets out like this howl that is really famous. And they end up burning it to death and burn it. They burn it real good. I mean, that that thing is significantly like it's charred. There ain't nothing left of it. Blair ends up going crazy and destroys the radio equipment and vehicles and kills the remaining sled dogs and tries to kill a couple other people. Like he's just he has like a revolver that he's shooting at people uh, and they end up locking him in a tool shed. So that he doesn't hurt anybody else. The doctor suggests testing everybody for the infection by taking their... They have stored blood from each of the people in the camp for medical reasons. So they suggest comparing the crew's blood against the contaminated blood. Like the blood of the thing that they know of. But they find out that the blood stores have been destroyed. And things really just dissolve from there. They all start blaming each other because only two people have the keys. And like, how could this have happened? And so eventually McCready like takes control of the situation because everybody's fighting everybody. And it's not good. Him and Windows and Nalls end up like everybody kind of separates for a while to, you know, calm down because everybody's fighting, which I mean, understandable if you can't tell that anybody's an alien that might assimilate you. So everybody kind of separates. One of the scientists, Fuchs, suggests that they 
either all prepare their own food and that they eat out of cans because even a little bit of this thing can get into you. It can assimilate you. McCready later sees him like running around. The power goes out at one point and McCready windows nulls ends up finding Fuchs burnt corpse. And they guess that he committed suicide as to avoid being assimilated. And there is indeed another person who has been assimilated by the thing, but they don't know who it is at that time. Windows goes back to base. McCready and Nalls go to investigate McCready's shack because McCready says last time he left, he turned the lights off. But who boy, the lights are on. Nalls ends up coming back and leaving McCready behind because he finds like a torn shirt, which McCready earlier summarizes that. When the thing assimilates somebody, it tears their clothes. It can't assimilate non-organic, like something that isn't a part of the body, basically. So they immediately all start suspecting McCready. McCready does make it back to the base, despite Nulls cutting the guideline. So there's lines to each of the structures in the camp, because during a snowstorm with zero visibility, that's all you have, basically. McCready ends up making it back to the base somehow, and he actually breaks into the storage room. He grabs a uh, thing of dynamite and a torch, and he ends up threatening them uh, that if any of them comes near him or hurts him, they can't, like, burn him because he's holding, you know, like, eight sticks of dynamite. During this whole thing, he ends up knocking over Norris, and Norris ends up having a heart attack. They bring him to the med bay, uh, the doctor... Uh, tries trust confessions and all this stuff, CPR, and then he tries to defibrillate him. He defibrillates him once, and then the second time he goes to do it, a mouth opens up in Norris's chest and bites off the arms of the doctor and kills that him. Was a little, that was a little bit of a jump scare for me. That is, that is honestly, I think, the most famous like scene in this movie is that that because, yeah, that's fucking terrifying if you don't know that that's coming. Yeah, it's it's it just, like, really noms on it. Like, just like, nom. Straight up, tears part his arms. And the doctor dies, like, pretty much instantly. The way that they refer to anybody that's been assimilated is they put thing at the end of their name. So Norris Thing bites off the arms of the doctor, killing him. And then begins to transform as McCready incinerates it. So his head actually starts to detach from his body. And it like sort of like falls off the table and then grows tentacles and like these spider legs. It's like, okay, I will be honest. Like the part that happened right after, while the practical effects are amazing, I... I found it real funny. I did see, just- like, so, so the, the head, the head, the detached head tries to escape, but it kind of just tries to, like, sneak behind everybody. But there's, like, five people standing there, and they immediately notice it. <laughs> like, it <Yeah>. doesn't... <laughs> and so they, and they incinerate it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just... I, like, I just, it's just real funny. Because, like, all it needed to do was just wait a little bit. That's yeah, like, all it needed to do. There's, like, a desk it even hides under that they don't notice it under. But then it tries to just, like, walk out behind them. And they all notice it right away. McCready immediately incinerates it. 
So that so the Norris thing is dead. It's gone. But after seeing this, McCready hypothesizes that when somebody is assimilated by the thing, it's uh, something called a superorganism, where every single cell is a living thing. It's a it like functions. Every single cell functions like it could be any cell. Basically, it's its own life form. And so, if you took blood from it and tried harming it, it would try and run away. So they decide to tie everybody up. They test their blood by putting a heated piece of wire in it. Um, They test windows. They test nulls. McCready tests himself. They test the two, the doctor who has been dead. And while they're deciding on this, they also end up having to kill Clark, who is the dog, um, who takes care of the dogs. After he lunges at McCready with a scalpel, they test his blood too. None of those four are assimilated. So they end up testing, uh, it's just Palmer, uh, Gary, and then Childs. And the first one they test is Palmer. And what do you know, he's assimilated. His blood like jumps out of the Petri dish. It's a whole thing. He starts transforming. He breaks free. And his head, like, splits open into, like, a jaw and bites windows as windows is trying to incinerate him because McCready's flamethrower is not working. So he ends up, like, chomping on windows, throwing him around, and eventually, like, lets go of him. McCready finally gets his flamethrower to work and he incinerates him. And then he has to incinerate Windows because Windows is now assimilated. Uh, now that that chaos is over, they end up testing both Gary and Childs. Neither of them are assimilated. So everybody's good to go. Nobody is assimilated. They end up going out to the tool shed where they locked up Blair, who the guy that went crazy and broke on the windows there is a really funny scene earlier when he's still in the shack where he's like i would really like to come inside (laughs) and they're like no (laughs) he's like i'm not gonna hurt anybody they're like no (laughs) which is okay (laughs) i understand the feeling i mean there's good reason why i mean good reason why they shouldn't have in the first place but like i don't know why our brains are wired this way but the more someone says that they are doing something, the more we think they're not doing that. Yeah, like, like he says, like at least three times, "I'm not gonna hurt anybody. I'm I'm better now." And I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> like, like generally, people who are like good people don't need to say that they're good people normally. Yeah, and over also, and over again. Yeah. It's like when yeah. somebody's been accused of like misconduct or something, depending on how they react, uh, you can definitely tell a lot about them. But yeah, he's like, I would like to come inside. I'm not going to hurt anybody. And they're like, okay, bye. <laughs> Later. Well, it looks like it, it, it looks like uh, Wilford Brimley didn't do his tasks. I think we should eject him. He's acting a little sus, isn't he? Little, he's little, also like he's a little sussy baka, you know. <laughs> a little sussy baka. <laughs> Wait, when my nephews were visiting, they kept saying sussy baka. And I was like, no, please stop. 
You don't understand. I'm online too much. You can't say that stuff in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) I have not touched grass in so long. (laughs) Uh, Also, like, Wilford Brimley, when he's destroying the radio room, is, like, freakishly strong. Like, that man fucking destroys that whole room. Oh, he has, he has like, a, he has, like, old man strength, you know? He it comes does. out of nowhere. It, just old, like, he doesn't give fuck. He, he has nothing to lose. Whatever. All right, so they go out to him to test his blood, and they find him gone. And, like, the door is open, and they're like, where the fuck did he go? They end up finding the floorboards have been pulled up, and there's, like, a tunnel, which they follow, and they find that he has been assembling... A flying saucer, like a a smaller version of the big ship that was in the ice. They blow it up, and upon their return, they find that Childs is missing. Actually, I think Null sees him like running around the camp, which is never a good sign. (laughs) Everybody that's been like assimilated or had to kill themselves not to be assimilated has just been seen like just running around camp. (laughs) So, uh, so the also the generator is destroyed, so they have no heat anymore. So McCready guesses that with no escape left, the thing is intending to freeze itself again until a rescue team arrives. Uh, so McCready, Gary, and Nulls are like, "Fuck no, we can't let this happen," and they end up getting a bunch of dynamite to destroy the station. Their plan is basically to sink it into the ice and burn anything of the thing that's left. So they end up going around this, the underside of the base, basically they're setting up explosives and the Blair thing kills Gary in like a very upsetting way. Like he pushes his hand into his face and then he's seen dragging him around by that. It's yeah, it's gross. And then, yeah, this is not in the movie, but Nalls does get assimilated. There's actually like a whole story board for this where Nalls does get assimilated. Uh, yeah. But Nalls disappears uh, and we don't see him again. The storyboards tell us that he got assimilated. So the Blair thing ends up turning into just this big ass creature and destroys the detonator. But McCready manages to trigger the explosives with a stick of dynamite, which lights all the others destroying the station. And so Childs ends up coming back to the main camp. McCready is just like sitting there in the in the wreckage of the camp. Child says that he got lost in the storm while we're pu- while looking for Blair and they both just sit there and neither of them trust each other but they do share a bottle of scotch whiskey and the story ends. Uh, yep. Neither of them are sure if the other has been assimilated, and there's been a lot of theories about whether one of them is or not. Yeah, it's very much uh, open-ended. Yeah, I can tell you that there are, so there is a video game of the thing, which picks up after the end of the movie, and there is a series of Dark Horse comics that also picks up after the ending. I Neither have been acknowledged as being canon or not canon. So I can't say which of these is true. Uh, in the video game, you can find Childs, and he is not assimilated, but he does die of hypothermia. You like find his body frozen later. 
in the comics, neither Childs nor McCready are assimilated. At the end of the thing, uh, Childs is later in the plot of the comics assimilated by the thing, but not at that moment. As of the standing of the end of the movie, it, it's it's not ever fully acknowledged. And John Carpenter never says one way or another. There yeah. were theories that because so in the original movie, just because of the quality, you can't see child's breath. People were guessing that he was assimilated because you can't see his breath. But we watched the remastered version. You can definitely see it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it's uh, I would say that I see why it is considered one of the best horror movies. Uh, oh yeah, out there there is a lot. There's a lot of layers going on, and I feel like watching it again, like watching it again, I would see little tells here and there, basically, mm-hmm. um, to who's like been assimilated or not and whatnot. Because there's a lot of red herrings going through. Because there's because like there's a good reason why you know everyone's so paranoid. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, the video game had a, uh, it was a trust your fear system because different AI, there were four AI and they would either believe that you were assimilated or not based on the trust your fear system. And it like ended up being incredibly complicated AI in the end. Um, I did not know that there was a video game. I mean, yeah, I I guess it's pretty good. They were actually making a second one that might have included multiplayer. So like, uh, it would be four players. Three of you would be crew members, and one of you would be an assimilated crew member. And basically, you had to like find out which one of you was the assimilated crew member. And the assimilated crew member's role was to try and assimilate as many people as possible. Well, it turns out they they cut out the assimilation part, uh, and they just made you kill the person. And they, that that's just Among Us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really you know after I was reading about the because I heard the video game was really good, uh, and I heard that people were really excited about the second one, and I immediately was like, "That's just Among Us." <laughs> they just Among Us just stole this concept. Well, so the. To kind of compare it to At the Mountains of Madness, I do think, like, at the beginning, uh, maybe not the them trying to shoot at the dog, which, in hindsight, I thought, why are you shooting at that dog? Uh, you know oh, what? That guy was right. Uh, <laughs> so here's the thing. If you speak Norwegian, it gives away the movie at the beginning. Because when the Norwegian pilot is yelling at them, he's straight up saying, that's not a dog, that's some kind of thing. Oh my god, could you imagine being <laughs> Norwegian and being like... Oh, did you oh. hear that? Oh, oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> like the finding, like the decimated corpses, yeah, of, of of the crew, like like having to fly to the area and whatnot, and like mm-hmm. the 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 storm that like picks up like soon after, mm-hmm. whatnot. It does very much feel like a. Uh, I mean, it feels like. It's calling back to at, uh, at the Mountains of Madness, but it's not. Yeah. And like, it, you definitely feel the dangers of living in the Antarctic. Cause like McCready, when he, when they go to a shack and then Nalls leaves him behind, uh, he, he's out there for like, I want to say like 20 minutes and he almost dies. Yeah. Like he's, 
pretty frozen when he shows back up. Yeah, that being said, I still kind of want to be in the Antarctic for for a long time. I have thought about there is a there's a town in Alaska that is entirely in an old Air Force barracks. Like the entirety of the town is pretty far north. I can't I think it's called Whitaker. Um I've really thought about moving there a couple of times because it's very cheap <laughs> and the the rooms are pretty decent size. And they have like high speed internet and stuff. But yeah, let's talk about the original story that this was based on. So okay. it's a science fiction novella originally called Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr. It's also known as The Thing from Another World, uh, which the 1951 adaptation shares its name with. It was actually uh, the, the Lovecraft wrote a follow up called The Thing on the Doorstep. Much lower stakes, though. <laughs> Oh my god, it could have been. Now that I think about it, the plot of that, of the the thing on the doorstep. Damn. Okay, uh, okay, well, one of them, okay, I, I, see, I have so many thoughts about the thing on the doorstep, so. But, I can't you know, wait to read it. Okay, so. I have so, so many thoughts, but, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Who Goes There was originally published in Astounding Science Fiction 1938, so it was actually published in the same magazine as At the Mountains of Madness just two years later. Uh, and then there was uh, an extended novel version that was also um, published. But yeah, uh, it it feels like it was definitely inspired by At the Mountains of Madness. I guess there was another story about a alien assimilating people uh, a couple like a year earlier and it feels like it kind of took the best parts of that and just slapped them together there must have been like a cultural zeitgeist thing going on because there was a lot of exploration happening arctic exploration yeah. happening during that time and uh like successful arctic exploration not just like the ones where people die almost immediately <laughs> yeah um, but like successful ones where people actually get back and it actually they actually have the technology to send stuff back out and build stuff for long-term exploration and research. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, there must've been something in zeitgeist, honestly. Yeah. And honestly, um, I mean, we, at that time, we definitely didn't know hardly anything about the Antarctic. Um, and another thing is, is that a lot of the researchers who went down there were very isolated for like months at a time, which, of course, as we all know, being isolated for months at a time with a bunch of people that you don't necessarily get along with uh, can definitely drive you crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, just look at lighthouse keepers. I mean, they also had the whole thing where uh, there was a giant pool of mercury giving off fumes that they had to be around for long periods of time, but also the isolation does not help with that. Well, I mean, I think there's also like the inherent eroticism of the sea and being cooped up with another person, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> the <laughs> inherent homoerotic nature of a large phallic symbol, such as the lighthouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> hey, yeah, I think there were a lot of Antarctic horror movie or horror stories at this time just because we were successfully actually like doing uh, research on the Antarctic. Like nowadays, it's like, yeah, whatever. The Antarctic exists and there's like ice 
and stuff there. But at the time, we had no idea what was down there. We didn't know what would happen if you went through the permafrost, if you drilled. Uh, well, I mean, what? no, we we know. We just read like a hundred pages about it. <laughs> we know. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some wiggly boys in there. Yeah, they also that you know <laughs> they they really like dissecting people and building five pointed stars, which by the way I mean, are just the stars that we normally talk about. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Uh, so, same. Okay, I've seen some like some. We weren't able to get a hold of the the uh, Gao Tanabe at the Mounds of Madness mm-hmm. uh, kind of in time. We might cover it later at some point. But, yeah, if we uh, need but a the, break. But some of the stuff, uh, but some of the drawings, like when they're drawing the five-pointed stars, it, it just looks like the stars you see on the barns, you know? Yeah. Like of, like, of like wine moms slash country, country moms, quote-unquote. Yeah. Oh like, my I, god. Do yeah. you, those Wiggly Boys would have gone completely feral for those uh, glow-in-the-dark stars that you put on the ceiling. Oh, they would have. Uh, just uh, completely feral. Yeah, their they're communal, they're communal weird spaces where all the stuff is in the middle and they have to scoot around. Uh, scoot around it. They would have like definitely the, had a bunch of stars on the ceiling that closed. Yeah, the they're they're just like they they just like lay down and listen to some uh, uh listen to some ambient music while staring up. Be like, you know, some some of our ancestors came from places like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this has been compared a lot to not just at the Mountain Savannas, but other H.P. Lovecraft cosmic horror, because this is considered a cosmic horror, and actually is part of, uh, I believe it's called the uh, Apocalypse Trio, or the Apocalypse Series. It's it's a series of Lovecraftian cosmic horrors that John Carpenter made. So it's this um, uh, At the Mouth of Madness, which is an excellent movie. I would definitely recommend. M- and then maybe I'm trying maybe to we should Maybe we should watch those as well. Just because uh, at the mouth of madness is really hard to find streaming right now. <laughs> we'll find it somehow. We we could probably find it. Um, and then there was another one I can't remember right now. Um, it's a it's yeah something about the devil actually being uh, goo that they find in a cylinder. Oh, that's that's prime Lovecraft's uh, ten out of ten. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's also a John Carpenter movie. But yeah, so he made a trio of Lovecraftian cosmic horror movies. And this is the first one. Um, But yeah, this was, this movie was actually not well received when it was originally released. Like, critics panned it. They did, everybody pretty much agreed that the special effects were amazing. But critics did not like the movie. Audiences didn't really show up. And that's because uh, Poltergeist had just come out, um, as well as uh, like a bunch of other movies came out around this time. So, uh, so it's kind of like how uh, the first Horizon uh, Horizon Zero Dawn game came out like right before uh, God of War, and then the second uh, Horizon game came out right before Elden Ring. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, yeah, it was not well received. It actually bombed at the box office. Um, but I mean, like, it's created a huge cult following, and for a good reason. It's an excellent movie. It has a great cast. 
Like everybody in this is fantastic. Rob Botton does the special effects. He's done a shit ton of special effects. He did RoboCop, Total Recall, uh, Fight Club, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, he most recently he did work on Game of Thrones. He's done. Um, yeah, I th- uh, think he might also have a YouTube channel, or he gets interviewed a lot for YouTube channels because he keeps all of because he because he gets to keep a lot of the props he makes. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, he makes them by hand. Yeah, it's it's all practical by hand, and it's, like, some real amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he won a Academy Award for Ridley Scott's Legend for Best Makeup. Um, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, he did The Howling. He worked on that with um, Rick Baker, who's a really famous um, special effects artist. Um, it's also the... The score is also done by Ennio Maricone, who is famous for doing a lot of westerns. Like he did the entire Fistful of Dollars trilogy. He scored them. He's done hundreds of scores, actually. He's done a shit ton of stuff. But he's he's famously he did the score for this. He did Firestarter. Um, he actually won an Academy Award for The Hateful Eight. He did the score for that. All sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and as far as I know, like a lot of the cast on this movie do look back on it pretty fondly. Like Wilfred Brimley still does or still did. I forgot he is he dead? He's dead, isn't I he? I think he might have died recently. Uh, oh, yeah, he just died two years ago in 2020. Yeah. But he was still doing like panels about it. Uh, even Kurt Russell says that he's really happy that it's gained the following that it has. Of course, John Carpenter, I'm guessing, is over the moon that people like his movie. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's an incredible movie. It has a lot going for it, though. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Uh, we found it actually on the Internet Archive for free, and it's the remastered version. So it looks really good still. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like i'm not gonna be one of those people who are like automatically like cg because like cg does have its uh you know place when it's used properly um but i will say the practical effects makes this uh movie still look really good really good like how many years later it was 82, so... Yeah, and I think the remastered version was done in the early 2000s. 40? Yeah. Yeah, 40 so, years later, remastered. Yeah. It looks really good. Um, There are... And there are a lot of other pieces of media surrounding it. Like I said, there's video game. There is a series of Dark Horse comics that are really good. Um, And, of course, there is the 2011 film which is actually a prequel it's what happened at the norwegian camp it is written and acted really well but the cg effects aren't great because they're just not good cg effects (laughs) even for the time it came out they weren't good for example signs the alien effects in that movie are actually pretty good but that's because they're done really well and they knew how to hide their mistakes (laughs) yeah uh the the main thing, one of the main things is, is if you if you want to use a lot of CGI, make sure you have a really dark movie. Yeah, that's what <laughs> Signs did. Just have a uh, real dark movie. You can hide a lot of sins. Yep. The 2011 movie is also greatly disliked because they did have practical effects. They 
completely made the practical effects for the movie and then ended up scrapping them for cheaper CG. So that's also why people don't like it much. I mean, it's okay. It's not terrible. Um, it, it is pretty true. Like, if you watch that and then watch this, uh, the way that the camp is left is very accurate. Like, they follow it to a T. But yeah, right. uh, that was the thing. Do you have anything else to say about it? want to say that I, uh, had this first time watching it, pretty, pretty good. Um, I, like, I definitely see why so many things reference it as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, you know, like, this is, like, the paranoia of this movie and stuff. It feels, it feels earned. Like, sometimes people try to do paranoia in, like, a show or a movie, and it doesn't feel earned, really. Mm-hmm. Like, it just seems like people are just being assholes for no reason. Yeah, yeah. But this but, one was done really well. Yeah, when people fight in this movie, you, like, totally get it. Like, I would also be completely out of my mind. Like, the scene where they were uh, testing the blood was so tense. Yeah, the the suspense in this movie is, like, masterclass. It is incredible how tense some of those scenes the blood testing scene is like the worst <laughs> yeah i do have to say the dogs do die in this movie that is the one thing i yeah. warn people about the dogs do die which i think is like the only part that i really was like oh <laughs> uh but yeah that was the thing a fantastic movie if you have not seen it it is free on the internet archive it is remastered you can see it in its full glory and you don't have to pay for it. It's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, you should definitely check it out. It has influenced a ton of media in the year since it has come out. It is a cult classic through and through. All right. Well, this has been over Smith, And um, yeah, don't get assimilated. That's that's my only advice. <laughs> yeah. Don't. <laughs> All you right. Just don't. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye.